Let's pray together, church. Our Father, you are our God in heaven. We delight in you. We trust in you. And Lord, as we have seen the theme this morning, we praise your name for the deep love that you have shown and demonstrated to us. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord, as we study your word. We desire to know you. We know that it is only by your spirit through your word. So open our eyes, Lord, fill us with your spirit. We ask you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you woke up this morning and or yesterday morning, rather, and and something was different, wasn't it? It was glorious. Because you didn't sweat when you walked outside. The weather changed. And that's life, right? Life is... Things change. In fact, I made a quick list for you of things that have changed since I have been serving with you alongside you at this church. Now, if you don't know, uh, when, when I got to this church, there, there was no projector up here and, and screen. This is something that has changed. In fact, there were no screen. The sound system is a new sound system. In our classrooms, there were no TVs. That's all new. In fact, when I got here, most of you had a home phone. Y'all remember what what that is? Home phone? That's a a phone that stayed at home. Most of y'all had those. Anybody still got one of those? Y'all got home phones? Okay. Life may change for you pretty soon, I'm just telling you. Some of y'all got the newspaper every day 18 years ago. Anybody? Some of y'all might still get the newspaper. Our parking lot was all cracked and it looked like this. It looked like the Rocky Mountains out there. Uh, It flooded. It was a bad place. David Turner fixed all that for us. There was no sign out front. That has changed. Uh, I have I have done how many of you would say I've done a funeral, a wedding, an ordination or a baptism in your family? Let me see a few hands out there. Okay, so things have changed in your family because you've done I've done something like that within your family and you are different. If we've done any of those things, you are changed. There were three Hortons when we changed and now we're supporting nine Hortons. We've added one, even recently. An honorary Horton, that is. The fellowship hall was yellow. Oh, the dreaded yellow fellowship hall. And Belinda's hair was brown. Those those are the changes. Oh, Oh, man. Is that bad? Although she is more beautiful even today than she's ever been. <laughs> now, change is inevitable. It happens. And, and we, we come to the scripture and what we see is in the scripture, things change. And uh, we've, we've got our graphic up here that Stacy will pull up for us. But we begin in Genesis 1 and we see something given to us. This is a picture of, of the garden. It is beautiful. It is, it is heavenly even. 
And, and then things change. And the fall comes in Genesis chapter 3. And, and everything is, becomes distorted and corrupted and marred by the power of sin. Things change. And then years go by and the Lord begins to, to present His plan of redemption. And, and foreshadow that redemption is coming. Redemption is coming. And, and we spent nine months, y'all, walking through the Bible of redemption is coming. Redemption is coming. And this week, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And we finally have reached our last of the stages. The kingdom of heaven, things have drastically changed. One character shows up in the Bible and transforms all of how people perceive who God is. Now, notice I didn't say he changed who God is, but he, he transformed the perception and, and even the execution of how we do religion. And let me remind you, religion is not a bad word. That is how we understand and know who God is. In fact, James affirms that word when he tells us true and undefiled religion is this. What are the two things he says? Or three things. Taking care of widows and orphans. And then remaining unstained from the world. True religion is, is doing these good things. One character shows up. His name is what? Jesus. And he revolutionizes. He changes the way that people understand who God is. Now we are 2,000 years removed from that. But we still are shaped. And our total understanding of who God is. As Christians comes from the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You're amen. It is all about Jesus. And so this morning there will be a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And, and let me give you this. Some say, well, what's the application? I, I want some application. Here's the application. If you know who Jesus is, your life is different. You're going to act differently. You're going to think differently. You're going to make different decisions. You're going to speak differently because you know who Jesus is. And this is one thing that I have told my church family and my own family over and over is we are called to be like Jesus. We're called to live like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to have this mind of Jesus, Philippians 2. And the greatest application I can give you this morning is Jesus came to transform us from an understanding of of what the world is to an understanding of this is God's world and we are his servants in it. So without further ado, I invite you to open up in your Bible. We're going to jump this morning. If you want to follow in your Bible, please do so. I'll have the scriptures on the screen behind us. Stacy, thank you for helping us out today. John chapter 1, verse 1. I read this earlier. When Jesus showed up, it was the revelation of all eternity that hit everyone right in the face. And you can relate to this because you may have been living your life and been hit in the face with the reality of who Jesus is. And who is he? In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
the revelation of who God is in all of his goodness and fullness was in the person of Jesus Christ. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. We're going to look at that passage and how it relates later to chapter 3. In him was what? Life. And the life was the light of men. It wasn't just light. It was a, a light that awakened and brought joy and hope and, and, and peace and understanding to everything. That was the life that Jesus, who he is and what he brought us. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. In fact, the light has overcome the darkness. And, and many of you in this room are testimonies of that. You walked in darkness, but now you walk in light. Let me continue. Jesus came and changed it all. The person of Jesus transformed religion as it was. And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. We have seen his what? We've seen his glory. He is glorious. He is something greater than what we see around us. He is glorious. Several years ago, we went to the Grand Canyon. I shared this Wednesday morning. We went to the Grand Canyon. And when you walk out and you look at the Grand Canyon, your, your thoughts are not, I am awesome. Boy, I'm such an incredible thing. Your thoughts are, whoa. 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 Glory. He was glorious. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from him, from, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace is revealed in the person of of Jesus Christ. If you don't understand what grace is, this is the first step to understanding Christianity. It is that God graciously sent his son to save sinners that repent. And some some folks say, "Well, I know that, but what's next?" And and I'll I'll Respond to that to say, know it again, because that's what's next. God's grace to us. If we ever lose the depth of God's grace to us, we're missing it. If we ever can't sing the songs and the hymns and the, the, the things that we sing on a Sunday morning and, and, and are not moved in our soul, we're, we're missing it. It is so transformative to know that we sinners have been saved by grace, that it's not something that we graduate from, but it's something that we graduate to day by day. Is a deeper understanding that God, the holy God, loved you, sent his only son to die for you, and by grace has transformed you. Into the kingdom of God. That is not something we ever leave behind. Continuing in the first chapter of John. We have this. The next day John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. 
And, and he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of what? The world. Not just for one or two people, not just for the Jews, for the world. Jesus revolutionized religion. Now remember, they viewed religion in the, the Jewish community in the first day as God, we are God's people. We are the apple of his eye. And, and these are things that, that they've understood from how God has communicated. But God was not exclusive in the sense that it was just for one group. And this is when, when Jesus shows up, it makes people upset that they're not so special anymore. That there was a Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus then begins a ministry. In John chapter 2, if you remember, he takes wine at a wedding. And, and, and I heard this week in commentary that the amount of wine that Jesus converted water into wine would be like 60 bottles of wine. It was not anything little. It was a lot. And he did this to say, look, change is coming. You see this transformation? I'm transforming water into something that brings and symbolizes joy at this wedding. And not only am I doing it, I'm doing it the best way possible. And as the master of the ceremony says, normally you bring the cheap stuff out once everybody's drank and many are drunk. But Jesus says, I'm bringing it out and I'm bringing out the best. I am transforming what we understand as water purification into soul purification. You see these jugs? You know what those jugs were? They were for the washing of your hands and the Jewish cleansing. And he said, I'm, I'm going to cleanse your soul. I'm doing it a new way. And then we get to John chapter 3. This is one I, I asked you. You responded right on cue. What's the verse that people know and love and quote? So often, John chapter 3, verse 16, I want to give you the context of that and then the follow-up context of, of what is John chapter 3 all about. Now, we read part of this last week. I'm okay with reading it again to you because this is such an important part of understanding Jesus and his ministry. And, and, and a teacher comes to Jesus. His name's Nicodemus. You know him. And he says, How, what am I supposed to do with this? I've grown up. I've learned under the teachers of the law. I've learned under the Pharisees. I've learned all of this religious stuff. I, I know who God is, I think. And then you come and you have shaken all of this up. And, and I, I think that many of you can probably relate. There is a cultural view of God that is, that is kind of communicated in our, our culture today, isn't there? But Nicodemus is not able to put everything together. And he's got questions and problems. And, but he's afraid because he doesn't want to be looked down upon by his peers. And so he comes to Jesus at night and he, and he says, well, let's just read it. There was a man of, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. 
for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And he, and he knew what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus cuts to the chase and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Our last phase of our graphic, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not about the womb. It's not about your body. It's not about that. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's about the Spirit. It is about a spiritual status, not a physical status. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. We could teach this. I could preach this every week. And we still would need to be reminded. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And, and hear this. The same word for spirit is the same word for wind. So here's the play that Jesus is doing, and I'll tell you why that's important. The wind blows where it wishes. Did y'all feel the wind yesterday? Wasn't it, wasn't it great? Wind blowing around. But we don't control that. We don't know. We can't figure out how to steer the wind or direct the wind. What does the wind do? What Jesus said it does. It does what it wishes. Now, now remember, the wind does what it wishes. And I'm going to read it in, in partial Greek so you'll get it. The pneuma. That's that word for wind. What's well, the same word for spirit or breath too. One, one Greek word. So the pneuma blows where it wishes. You hear it sound? You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the what? Numa. The wind does what it wishes, and so does the Spirit of God. Jesus comes to transform the understanding of who God is and how we relate to Him. He comes to fulfill the old covenant law, He comes to give us a new way of relating to God. And says you must be born of the Spirit in the new kingdom way. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born of the Spirit. Unless you have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual eyes to hear. This is not new though. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 36 speaks of this pneuma. In Hebrew, rather. But he says this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but I will act for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Then in verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and put a new what? New spirit. I will put a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the... the, And let me back up on that verse 27. I'm going to put my spirit in you and you will be obedient. If I say it like that, does does it connect a little bit more? Because what Jesus is teaching is that when you're born again, you begin to want to be obedient to what God has for you. I was asked recently, how do you know if you're a Christian? How would you answer that? How do you know? How do you know if you're a Christian? And the answer is, there's, there's evidence. You're, you're alive. You are spiritually alive. How do you know you're spiritually alive? Are you, are you doing the same things you did before you were alive? Are you thinking the same thoughts? Do you have the same desires? Do you have a desire when you mess up to make it right with God? Is your life reflected by joy and peace and patience and the fruit of God's Spirit in you? When you're alive, you're alive. When you're alive, you, you want to be obedient to what God would com- God commands for us to do. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my commands. You will keep my commandments. This is aliveness. This is spiritual. Being born of the Spirit, this is what it is. Like some of you are incredible billboards for this. You were something until Jesus changed you, and now you look very different. That is what he's talking about. What's more? Chapter 37 in Ezekiel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves. And raise you from your graves. That sounds awfully New Testament, doesn't it? You were dead. Now you're alive. That's that's very Pauline. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. There it is. And and I've, I I want to share this to you because. I've had this conversation twice in the last couple of weeks. What if I don't know of a moment, and I can't think to a moment when I became a Christian? Let me share this with you. Just from my experience, observation, many years, about half of the people that I know who are Christians can say, I remember a distinct moment when something happened to me and I was completely new. About half the people that I talk to. The other half of the people are like, I, I don't know. I just know I am. I'm alive. I, I, it was a season. It was things that happened. And, and I just knew that I was different. And so if you're wrestling with that, let me encourage you. It doesn't happen the same way for everybody, but life is life. 
And you know when you're alive and you know when the spirit of God is in you and you know when your desire is, I want to please God. I want to love God. I want to make it right. I want to be loving. I want to serve others. I want to help. I want I want what's different than what I did want. You will know if you are alive in Christ. And verse 14 of Ezekiel 37 says this, I'll put my spirit within you. You shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you will know, just like I said, you will know if you're a Christian, you'll know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Let's keep going back in John. John chapter 3, verse 9. Nicodemus is like, what? That's his response. Jesus has brought change and has said, this is how you know God. Not through the washings, not through all of these ways that that you're doing. It's, It's not that. This is a new kingdom that I'm bringing. This is a new covenant that I'm bringing. And you know him by your spirit. And the Holy Spirit is coming to fill and dwell and empower people. This is the new kingdom. And, and Nicodemus just, he doesn't get it. How can these things be? Jesus said, well, you're the teacher of Israel. You're, you're supposed to know how these things are. You don't understand these things? And then Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. But you, you don't receive our testimony. You and your people, the Pharisees, you reject my kingdom that I have brought. I have told you earthly things and you don't believe. How can I, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is rebuking Nicodemus. Close your eyes, Nicodemus, and see, is what he's saying. Nicodemus says, that doesn't make sense. If I close my eyes, I can't see anything. And Jesus says, yes, you can. Close your eyes and see. There's more to be seen than what you see. Y'all remember the old Transformers? When I was growing up, that was one of my favorite toys, Transformers. What was their slogan? More than meets the eye. That's what Jesus is telling. There's more going on here. Now, verse 13. Let me, let me throw this to you. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I, this is the first time studying this this week that I saw it. It's pretty neat. I've studied John 3 a lot. It's the first time I've, I've really dug into this verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, Of course, Jesus is speaking of his divinity, right? No one has ascended into heaven. No one's been to heaven except the one who came from heaven. And and the the verbiage here is is kind of difficult to say, but if, if, if I were to paraphrase it to you is, look, no one is heavenly except the one that you're looking at right now, the Son of Man. I've been there. I know what it is. Now, if you if you turn to Proverbs chapter 30, look at this. Jesus knows his Bible, and he's alluding directly back to Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 4. 
Which says this. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? That's a question. Who? Anybody? Who has gathered the wind? There's that word again. Who has gathered the wind in his fish? You think Jesus is thinking about Proverbs 30 when he's talking to Nicodemus? Yes, sir. Who has wrapped the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? But don't stop there. What is his what? His son's name. Yeah, Jesus is saying, you know, the, the Proverbs, talking about God's son. He's talking to you right now. Surely, you know, it's about the son. When Jesus came, he transformed things for us to close your eyes and see. Do you see? Do you see? Verse 14 says this, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This is, this is such a, uh, a neat story, y'all. I... The teacher comes to Jesus. Jesus bewilders him, confuses him, and now presents the gospel to him and says, do you want to be saved? Look to the one who's lifted up. And of course, you know, he's alluding back to Numbers 21. Do you all remember the story of Numbers 21? The people are rebellious. They're mad at God. You've put us in the desert. Uh, they're, they're angry because of what God has done. And the Lord says, you're angry with me. Okay, I got something for you. And he sends poisonous serpents. And they begin to bite and kill people. And then the people's tone changes a little bit from God, how could you to God, will you save us? And the reality is the people, rather than grumbling about their state, they begin to see I need a savior. Because these serpents are wiping us out. I need a savior. And this is what Christianity is, isn't it? It's, it's when someone, rather than complaining about what God did or God allowed to happen or what he took away from us or who he took away from us, when we begin to say, that's not nearly as important as me saying, God, I need a savior. Right? <laughs> right? And I hope that you've gotten to that place. And many people are stuck in the desert, in the wilderness, saying, God, how could you? God, how could you? Look at what's going on here. God, how could you? And don't realize that the venom is in their soul and they need a savior. And that's exactly what Jesus does for Nicodemus. Hey, Nicodemus, you need a savior. The venom is in your soul and you will die. The wages of sin is death. You will die. But believe in the Son of Man who's been sent to you and you're looking at Him at His face. Believe and be saved. And if you're here today, I want to say this. You're looking at Jesus right in the face. Not this face. Close your eyes and you'll see. You're looking at Him right in the face. Be saved. The venom 
is in your soul. And Christian, you believe this. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 is a, such an incredible verse. I love it. When Jesus transformed everything and he says, look, I'm the Savior. I'm the one who was lifted up. I'm not going to be lifted up on a pole. I'll be lifted up on a tree. And he transformed everything about who we are. Would y'all read this verse with me? Because this is so important. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Here's some application for you. Some reality for you. Live in Jesus. For from him. Do what you do from the power that Jesus gives you. He has given you his spirit, church. He is in you. He is the power, the transforming power that's in you. Do everything you do from his power. Do what you do through him. For from him and through him. Meaning, through Jesus is the ability to to be Christian. He doesn't say, hey, do all these things as a Christian and then not give you the, the power to do them through him. What does the Bible say? I can do all things, what? Through Christ who gives me strength. And it doesn't mean you can throw the touchdown or win every game. It means you can overcome. You can do the Christian life. You can fulfill what God has given for you to do through the power of Christ. And we do it all to him. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. We do it for him. Why are you doing the things you do? Does it ever come to mind as you walk day by day in your life that you're doing it for Jesus? I hope it does. I hope, Amy, when you get up here to sing with your beautiful voice, you are thinking, Jesus, this is for you. I hope, Titus, when you get up here and play that drum, or Richard, when you cook breakfast, or... Or Shirley, when you do your records. Or Steve, when you are calling people every Saturday night. Did you say, I'm doing these things for Jesus. For from Him and through Him and to Him. It's all about Jesus. He has revolutionized everything. But He calls us to believe in Him. So let me, let me flesh this out a little bit for you as well. Jesus calls us to believe in him. Do you believe in him? And, and some of us take that, okay, yeah, I believed in him. You know what I'm talking about? You, you, you say, well, we, we need to believe in Jesus. And we say, yeah, I did that. I believed in him and I'm a Christian now. But that's not, not Christianity. It's not a past tense thing. The believing in Jesus is so that this plays out every day in our lives. Am I believing Jesus to lead me to the person that I'll spend the rest of my life with in marriage? Am I believing Jesus 
that he's going to supply me to teach my Sunday school class. Or to play my part in the passion play. Or to sing the songs I need to sing. Or to do my job every day. Around, surrounded by, by people who don't love God. Or to care for my children when they won't do what they need to do. And give me the patience. That's a good amen. Give me the patience to not hide. This is believing in Jesus Christ. And then we get to John 3.16. And here it is. Y'all know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave the person of Jesus. He loved the world. Not just a few people. Not just a group of people. He loved the world that he gave his son, the person of Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And y'all, this verse is not just evangelism. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life. And life is not a, a past tense thing. Life is a present tense thing, and it's a future thing. Live life in Christ. It is eternal life. Jesus says in John 17 that he has given it to you. This is eternal life that you know him. Life is an ongoing thing. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus has come on a rescue mission to bind a strong man to deliver his people from the power of sin and the strong man, the one who had them in bondage, and to transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into light. That is you, Christian. Somebody say amen. amen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is already condemned or is already under condemnation. In other words, the default mode that you're in is under condemnation because you are not believing. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let me keep reading. I just want you to hear the words of John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people, though, they love the darkness rather than the light. And why, church? Why? Help me out. Why did they love darkness more than light? Because they're, they were doing bad things. And they didn't want to give up them bad things. Because when you come to Jesus, there's a change. Jesus drags no one to salvation. No one. He doesn't force you against your will. Rather, Jesus changes your will so that you come to him. People come to Jesus because they want to. People don't like being exposed. And if they want their deeds, evil deeds, they can have them. Jesus always allows them to have them. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. There it is. You see it? It's right there. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John chapter 3 ends with 
this. It ends with John the Baptist. And, and now we have Jesus and his disciples baptizing people. And John and his disciples baptizing people. And they come to John the Baptist and they say, John, Jesus got more folks than you. We got to change your methods so you can get more followers. Or if you read it like verse 26 says, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going over to him. And so John answers, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given. Unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ. I'm just doing God's work. And if the Lord is sending more work, to, more people to Jesus, that's the spirit does what he wishes. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. You don't throw a wedding for the best man. You know what I'm talking about? You don't throw a wedding for the best man. Who's the wedding for? The bride and the groom. Right? The one who has the bride, that's the groom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, my joy is now complete. The groom is here. Did y'all catch that? The groom is here. His name is what, church? His name is Jesus. And then he ends with a, a verse. You can put it in your car. Put it on your Facebook. Verse 30. What a phenomenal thought. What a, what a great theme to your life this is. He must increase, but I must decrease. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Christian, have you been changed? This church has changed. Have you changed? This world has changed. Have you changed? Religion has changed. Have you changed? He must increase. I must decrease. May God be glorified in us. Jesus saved sinners that repent. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again to save sinners like you. To change people like you. Don't stop changing. The Bible says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Don't stop conforming. It is your destiny. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for the work of changing us. That you sent your son to revolutionize this world. And the New Testament testifies over and over that you are the savior of the world. God, continue to change us. Transform us. And help us to do all things through you. For you and by your power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come to our